Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Recall the Midwife podcast. Hello and welcome to part two of our Recall the Midwife Shadows of the Workhouse special where we're looking at the book by Jennifer Worth, Shadows of the Workhouse, and talking about it in detail. I'm Alex. I'm Becky. I'm Jen. And if you joined us for part one, you'll know that um, our our reminder for this week's episode is going to be the same. It, this uh, subject in the books covers um, childhood trauma, abuse, extreme poverty, death and dying. There's also discussion of war and things like that. And then, you know, also like a lot of complications around aging. And, it's just bleak. Um, the whole bloody like thing's bleak. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to make sure everyone's kind of prepped for what we're going to be discussing because it is very intense. We try to handle it with a certain amount of sensitivity, but also some brevity but just to say this is really tough stuff you guys oh it's quite hard to get some brevity out of to be fair like yeah. we've hardly been like lolling haven't we the last <laughs> yeah usually we try to kind of do like a lot of you know like lighthearted stuff but this one these books are these books are tough they're intense Oof. they're intense yeah they're a tough read i think part two maybe sister martha jones storyline is kind of the lighter quote lighter of the two yeah well, becky was we'll just, just telling us she hated this part of the book <laughs> Well, Bex, I thought you would have loved this Sister Monica Joan part because she's your favourite. No, I just, I mean, I feel the same way about reading one of Sister Monica Joan's, like, long, ambling, like, her stream of consciousness, basically. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way about reading Cockney Rhyming Slang. Like, it's just, it's not an easy read. It's really, yeah. really not an easy read. We did mention this before. 
Have you no. seen you read Train Spotting? No. Read it. I've never, no. I've never even seen it. No. So no, no. Train Spotting the book is all in Scottish language. Oh yeah, that's, that's how it's oh, written, God. and it's no. really hard to get your head around it. It's a brilliant book. I do recommend it, but it's really hard to get your head around it at first. I feel yeah. like that about this Cockney rhyming slang, except I never got my head around it. Yeah. Wait. Can I just? Can I just? Can I just do a little Cockney rhyming slang for you all? Okay. I'm gonna. I, this is gonna be really <laughs> horrendous. Me. Maybe. Maybe this will be our comedy moment. Okay. So we're at the trial of sister monica joan okay one of the one of the costers is making a speech about what he thinks sister monica stole okay and he's like basically a um a merchant that sell, sells things okay i sells ladies things and this nun she comes up to me stall and before you can blink an eye she picks up a couple of bread and cheeses tucks them in her petticoats and is off round the jack corner down the frog and toad Quick as shit off a stick. I couldn't add him and eat it, but that's what she done. Okay, I, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> and the judge Sorry, you know like, what I said? We had no brevity. <laughs> I said I had to give us some, okay? So then the judge who's presiding over this whole trial is like, what the hell? Because obviously he's like posh and everything. So he had put down his pen long before Keiki had fi- finished giving his ec- evidence. I think I'm going to need an interpreter. So then there's an usher like working in the court and he says, yeah. okay, I, I, can, I can decipher this for you. So he says, my mother was a cockney and I was brought up with the rhyming slang. Mr. Crumb has testified that he saw Sister Monica Joan take a couple of handkerchiefs. Bread and cheese is the usual expression for handkerchiefs. Why? That doesn't even rhyme. Sneeze, I don't get that. Sneezes. Sneezes. Oh, but okay. Off his sparrow or barrow and set off around the Jack Horner, corner, my lord, down the frog and toad, meaning road, okay, quick okay. as I need not go on, my lord, a harmless vulgarity implying no disre- disrespect to your lordship. Quick stick, the rhyme is obvious. I'm beginning to understand, very, but what is all that about Adam and Eve? We're not talking about the Garden of Eden, you know. To Adam and Eve it is a very common expression, my lord, believe it means it. to believe it. Or the negative, Mr. Crombs could not Adam and Eve the evidence of his own eyes and then he says you're very knowledgeable usher and i'm indebted to you but it was not all the evidence mr crub gave the court and it had to be written down for the record so i mean yeah the cockney stuff is making everyone's head hurt i think is what the what the point is there because my family's all northern uh, the only mm-hmm. cockney is when my mum used to be like go up the apples and pears to bedfordshire oh the stairs yeah oh okay you also used to say when we said we were hungry she'd be like go upstairs and eat the monkey and i still don't understand eat the monkey <laughs> Yeah, she'd be like, go upstairs and eat the monkey. Have you ever looked that up? Do you know what? I'm going to do it right now. Anyway, you will. Let's carry on. So the, the whole point of this part of the book yeah. is Sister Monica Joan Basically, is the first part. Basically, she just wants to talk about Sister Monica Joan more. And Jenny the second really part is Joe Collins. Yes, yeah, exactly. So exactly. There's, there's the scene in the first series where sister monica joan has basically left nanata's house in the middle of the night and she's found at dawn like wandering by the river in her nightdress and that actually happened and she had a bout of pneumonia mm-hmm. yeah so they talk they talk about sister monica joan and then when i actually didn't love the storyline of sister monica joan's thievery but actually it did happen exactly yeah. and do you know what can i just say i bet heidi thomas is ab- was absolutely clapping her hands together because the storylines that sister monica joan gave her from this book yeah. alone. <laughs> I know, I know. Rich, well, rich. I- and, and just to say, I often feel frustrated with Sister Monica Jones. She's not my favorite. But the thing that the books have really, really done is made me absolutely be so in awe of what she accomplished in her lifetime in in real life. Yeah. And then because it's also a window window into like what women were dealing with in the generation or two before Jennifer Worth ever comes on the scene, which yeah. is really, really intense and harrowing stuff. So, okay, girls, I'm just going to read this one quick section. So talking about mid- midwives. Can you do it in cut me? Well, well, good. Uh, no, I can't. I'll, I'm going to. I'm going to sound like I have a speech impediment. Okay, so... 
the Royal College of Midwives was born after uh, this law in 1902. And from that moment, maternal and infant infant deaths began to fall. Okay, great. So then she says about, about the sisters who served in this area. She goes, the sisters were true heroines. They had entered slum areas of the London docks at a time where no one else would go near them except perhaps the police. They had worked through epidemics of cholera, typhoid, tuberculosis, scarlet fever, and smallpox, careless of being infected themselves. They had worked through two world wars and endured the intensive bombing of the Blitz. They were inspired and sustained by their dual vocation, service to God and service to mankind. They weren't for one moment trapped by their bells and their rosary, like they were like living life, they were out in the world, like they're still like doing all this good stuff. And that's kind of the backdrop for Sister Monica Joan. But it's it, even more so than the thievery story, like the theft and everything like that. What really absolutely sent me about this part of the book is that it's a way for you to hear, again, some of the stuff that happened to women at this time. And Jennifer yeah. Worth is like, she kind of throws these things. No one knew much more than that, but female speculation can make a great deal out of very little. I was like, okay. Oh, then this one actually made me laugh the line about how the one of the merchants in the thing where they said that sister monica joan was very quote light fingered he called her a scraggy old god botherer which <laughs> i just think is like a hilarious hilarious well thing. just to head back to what your note that you just said about heroin do you remember yeah. when it, very early on in the series it like series one when mm-hmm. jenny lee was there was a woman called pearl and she yeah. had an std from her and he, she was like oh as a matter of fact i think you're all heroines that's where i thought they got that line from oh right 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 because it's like an art like you know it goes back to that it is it is yeah but I mean I think Jennifer really Jennifer Worth just really wants to kind of highlight the fact that like at a time where no one cared about a certain population these women and these sisters did care about them and also bear in mind Sister Monica Joan came from a really upper class aristocratic very well to do she'd been cared for all her life she didn't have to have a hard life Right, she chose right. to have this life, but she still did it, and she did it with a plum. By the sounds yeah. of it, yeah. I'm just going to read. Also, one more I never section. used the word a plum. <laughs> <laughs> See how smart of this book club is making you? She said, <laughs> so this is this is about Sister Monica Joan. To say that by the age of 90 she was eccentric would be an understatement. Sister Monica Joan was wildly eccentric to the point of being outrageous. There was no telling what she would say or do next, and she frequently gave offense. Sometimes she could be sweet and gentle, but at other times she was gratuitously spiteful. Poor Sister Evangelina, large and heavy, and not gifted with verbal brilliance, suffered most dreadfully from the astringent sarcasm of her sister and God. Sister Monica Joan had a powerful intellect and was poetic and artistic yet she was quite insensitive to music and as I witnessed on the occasion of her shocking behavior at a, at a cello recital, which also was in the show by the way. Yeah. She was very well, also clever. Also they got, they got um, her and Sister Evangelina Bob on as well. Oh, totally. She was very clever, cunning, some would say. She manipulated others unscrupulously in order to get her own way, which again is in the show. She was haughty and aristocratic in her demeanor, yet she had spent 50 years working in the slums of the London Docklands. How can one account for such contradictions? It is mad. It is mad. It is crazy. And I will just tell you, like... For, for however much Sister Monica Joan in, annoys me, it's stuff like this that always makes me think, you know what? At the end of the day, absolute respect. Absolute yeah. respect. Because you know what? We are, we. I mean, this is such a tired phrase now, but like truly we all do contain multitudes. And like to think that you can assume what someone is like or know what someone is like just from taking like one part of them or even a bunch of parts of them. The, the, Sister Monica Joan is just a wild and fascinating character. I mean. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, so wait, do you guys want do you guys want to talk about like her mother and then what happened to her? Oh, her mother. Yeah, go off. What did yes, what happened? So, cuz in the series she does talk about missing her mum, doesn't she? Mhm. 
Yeah, but and also talks about the difficulties of the relationship as well. So we know that Sister Monica Joan came from kind of a well-to-do background and she kind of rejected that and went and kind of turned her back on it and went into the church. But she talks about her mother, and I don't know if this is the bit that you're thinking of, Jen. There's a bit where she says, so Sister Monica Joan is talking to Jenny, not Jenny Lee, Jennifer Ware. My father ruled her life every move. Do you know, my dear, he had all her hair cut off and her teeth pulled out when she was less than 35. So the reason that she did this, I was only a little girl, but I remember my mother lying in bed with the doctor's president. One of them told my father that all her strength was going to her hair and teeth and that they would have to go. She was never consulted in the matter. She told me many years later, she, her head was shaved and all her teeth extracted. So her mother was in ill health and... I know. And it makes you think, what kind of ill health? I thought maybe ill mental health. Yeah, I think it's a mental health issue. But the thing is, what mental health issue was she really showing? Was she just being like a normal person, but also maybe like a little bit intense at times? And then her, Well, if she's anything like a daughter as well, she's probably very fiercely intelligent and, yeah. you know, quite obstreperous. Like, you know, she's into, she's got yeah. her own opinion. But I mean, you well, she know told, as well as she, I do the legacy of like women being called hysterical and like literally nothing about how we're behaving is, hyster- is hysterical except for the fact that we're just expressing our emotions. Exactly. And she talks about her aunt Anne as well. My mother's sister was put into a lunatic asylum because her husband was fed up with her. Yeah. yeah. And basically I literally wrote in my notes. Although I would like, like that in 2023, but the other way around. <laughs> well i just literally wrote mr rochester vibes because he was just like oh i'm sick of my wife so like i'm gonna lock her up so i can go be this other lady like yeah. young cute like who's not gonna give me a hard time oh well, wait on the on the next oh page, no i have to defend mr rochester well it's not the exact same but i just was kind of saying like locking up his wife basically but then then he's like oh you know like women women's rights and all this kind of stuff like that and then and then she says independence for women freedom from male dominance and then jenny goes were you a suffragette i asked bah suffragettes i've got no time for suffragettes they made the biggest mistake in history they went for equality they should have gone for power i loved that i, I loved that so much. i literally underlined that whole thing and i wrote yes 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 i just was like i thought it was so great and then and then right after that she tells the story of how she becomes a nurse sorry do you guys want to tell that one i just went off on that no i don't <laughs> I am not wanting to speak about her being in it. <laughs> you, you go, Bridget. <laughs> okay. You, she says you... frantically looking through her notes. <laughs> All right. So Sister Monica Jones, this is right after she said we should have gone for power, she says, but I broke the mold in my family when I announced that I was going to be a nurse. Oh, you should have heard the rumpus. It would have been funny if it had not been so deadly serious. My father locked me in my room and threatened to keep me there indefinitely. Then he tried to insinuate that I was mad and should be confined to an asylum like poor Aunt Anne. But times are changing. Women were beginning to break the chains of their bondage. Florence Nightingale. Now, this is a wild story. Okay. Florence Nightingale led the way and many others followed. I wrote to Miss Nightingale from my prison in my father's house. She was quite an old lady by then, but she was very powerful. She spoke to no less than Queen Victoria herself on my behalf. I don't know what they said, but the result was that I was released from captivity. My poor docile mother never really recovered from the shock of having a rebel daughter. Nonetheless, I was 32 before I could break away from my father's domination and start nursing that was when my life began and i was I've got like written in big letters here bex not because you're uh, breaking away from your father's <laughs> domination and going into nursing because of the queen victoria connection i thought you'd quite like that uh, yeah yeah yeah. Also, I, I oh thought she she'd shocked her family by going to the church, but she went into nursing first. So yeah. I have read which, the book, but which still is, got that. But guessing. girls, I mean, what I find wild is like, okay, we obviously live in a time where nurses and doctors are generally just kind of considered to be very esteemed members of society. And obviously, after going through COVID, when we were all, you know, like 
clapping our hands and banging the pots and pans for them and like lifting them up as like first responders national heroes and everything like that like when when I think of a nurse I think of a person you know who is worthy of like a lot of respect and admiration and all of that kind of stuff simply because of the work they do right like how you know whatever so to to like hear about not only how you know like obviously women were not treated good during this time but to think about how much people look down on nursing yeah um hang on I just I want to say this because I've thought about this quite a lot and I think that around that time only really rich people with influence were kind of authors and that kind of thing. The real life people probably didn't think that. The real life people probably didn't think that at all. But you only really get perspectives from the upper class and echelons of society because they were the ones who actually were writing the books and had influence and that kind of thing. So I do feel like, yes, they did do that. But I don't think they really account for what most of society thought about them. Because obviously the Nanartans were loved in in Poplar, really loved and really well respected. And I think maybe that's just because... the kind of reflections we get afterwards because of who was actually allowed to do that because they were very much there was a very much a tight vice group and there still is let's be honest look at where all the pms and everything are in this country still all eaten educated yeah. but yeah. i just think i just think that's maybe where more of the opinions and everything seemed to come from just because they had the resources to get it out there well, and just to say, I think also there is a distinction between being a nurse and being a midwife, even though there's a lot of overlap in those professions. And I, I think that, you know, if it's if it's to do with kind of general care or male care or whatever like that, it's probably thought of differently than if you're dealing with someone who is, a you know, a woman, a pregnant mom, a, you know, dealing with some kind of, you know, oh, 100%. reproductive issue, shall we say, you know, what I mean, because even like Delia's mom in one of the most recent episodes said to Patsy, oh, no offense, but like you just deal with you're like kind of a you deal with things that are like really gross and like unseemly and I don't really think that's an appropriate career for a young lady and she's like well okay thanks you know so like I think even among even to your point like you know I probably people did look at nursing in a certain type of way that isn't as recorded in history but I just think a lot of stuff that had to do with like pregnancy and childbirth and everything around that was just considered you know kind of like yucky and mysterious and you know people oh, yeah, wanted to do and also it, so. unimportant because it was women to do with women exactly mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Oh wait! Quick, quick, quick. Okay, sorry. Did you guys all clap like the Chummy and Peter in this book? Yeah. Like, oh, so cute. Okay, so like when when um when well, Jennifer kind of worked... make out that she fancied him and him having no interest in her. Well, but the thing is, it's really unclear, right? Because like the thing is, like Jenny discovers all this like a drawer full of like jewelry right like a whole you know like watch ring you know bracelet necklace all that kind of stuff like that and she's like oh no and sister monica joan also has this like oh no kind of look on her face well hang on in context it was after she'd also been caught thieving but we'll go back to that in a second right yes it follows the story so she's she's been caught shoplifting in the market they find all these things that all these random things that she's stolen i'm just gonna say what she's stolen so it made no sense several pairs of silk stockings three egg cups a great quantity of colored ribbon a lady's silk blouse, four children's colouring books, an ornate hairpiece, a corkscrew, several small wooden animals, a tin whistle, a quantity of teaspoons, three ornamental channel birds. I just say, I understand the teaspoons. <laughs> a bundle of knitting wool, all tangled up, a necklace of gaudy beads, about a dozen fine lawn handkerchiefs, a needle case, a shoehorn and a dog collar. So as in this, as in the series, a lot of things that are just not high value goods yeah. So yeah. they think, but then 
obviously Jenny Lee or Jennifer Worth finds this all these jewels in a drawer. Mm-hmm. Doesn't tell anyone. Um, doesn't right. tell but, anyone. But except except then she goes to clinic the next day and she's like acting really weird and Cynthia's like, "What the heck is wrong with you?" And she's like, "What do you yeah. mean?" And she's like, "Well, you look at you you look terrible. Like, what's going on?" And she's like, "Oh my god, I've got so much in my mind." So then they all sit down that night that they have like that that they're not working and they drink like three bottles of sherry between them and have Monopoly so, play Monopoly, which is exactly what they did in the in their show. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they get like so drunk. And then Cynthia is the only one who kind of stays sober. So she gives Chummy the night off from being on call because Chummy literally passes out on the bed. Well, which was Chummy, not Trixie. Remember, it was Trixie who did that in the show. Yeah, yeah. And then and then like the next day or within the same week or whatever, the police come. Oh, and in that in that time where they're drinking the cherry, Trixie teases Chummy about having a crush on the police officer, like the big tall one and everything. And Chummy goes all bright red and she like can't say anything. And she's like, oh, pish posh bother, like old spot to mean (laughs) or whatever. And then like then the doorbell rings like later in the week and it's and Chummy's gone for a full five minutes. Okay, so she's doing something out there. And then when she comes back in, she's like all (laughs) red. Yeah, exactly. She's all like flustered and everything and she's like oh oh, the constable old bean oh right to you or whatever and then that's when he then then quote peter i mean who knows they just refer to him as the constable or the sergeant or whatever like that he comes in and then he talks to sister monica joan and then they say we're going to drop all the charges because after investigating it's not really worth it and then after then they're at their like little sewing circle like little like knitting club or whatever which again true to the show just as the show happens. Or shows exactly. through the book, yeah. Yeah, and then and then Sister Julianne says something to Sister Monica Joan about her knitting, and then Monica Joan kind of, like, disagrees. And they, they both are holding onto her knitting bag, and it gets caught, and then the seam rips, and, like, it opens, and everything falls out, and it's all the jewelry that Jenny had seen in the drawer that she didn't tell anyone about. And then that's what triggers the trial, which happens very much like it does in the show, actually. Yeah. And so... Anyways, we kind of get, I, I don't know, I definitely got the sense that like when that part of the book was being read by Heidi Morgan or yeah, that um that's when she was like, okay, great. We can give Chummy like this love story with, you know, this like cutie patootie. Heidi Thomas. From the- Heidi Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. 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 Yeah. hundred percent. So anyways, that's how I, that's how I thought of it. Yeah. No, I think it definitely, cause she's such a loving, lovely character as well. I Chummy. Know. And I I just think she definitely does translate well to a Sunday night TV and her, and we've said this before, but her her love story with Peter is just giving us life. So I'm really glad they did do that, even though it wasn't in the book. Although saying that, you know, it might come up in a future book. I doubt it. Well, yeah, I mean, we're going to read the third one, so we'll just have to see kind of what happens. But yeah. Okay. So, so should we say anything about the trial? I mean, it really happens very much the same way as it does in the, in the show, I think. Yeah. So in the show, Sister Monica Joan, like something triggers a memory and she's, she kind of, she's thinking about the jewels and she says, you need to speak to Sister. No, Mother Jesu Emmanuel. Mother Jesu Emmanuel. Yeah. And then in the show, that, then sends Jenny and Jimmy yeah, off on a mad dash to the mother house in the book. They're going through the trial and everybody's like, it's not looking good for Sister Monica Jane. No. Well, and then it wasn't she just, in the, yeah. No. But then in the book, she then just rocks up at court one morning. Yeah, after being in Africa for a whole year. And I thought about the Christmas special, South Africa. Mm-hmm. It was Sister Jacey Emmanuel who went on that experience and yeah. not the actual nuns that we had saw so again something taken from the book but used in a different way 
So, yeah, and she just, she'd given Sister Monica Joan all of those jewels just to be a comfort to her, but just hadn't told anybody about it. Well, she forgot, to be fair to her, because she was going to Africa. I think I'd probably forget after going to do good work in Africa. And then, uh, yeah. But obviously she wouldn't know that she'd be caught thieving and she'd be in a court case, would she? So what timing, though? Imagine if she hadn't come back. I know, truly. And this is actually a true story. What if she'd been back like 24 hours later and the trial had already been side decided and then it was over and done with? Yeah, would she be in prison? You know, or what? What happened if they try, they all of this had happened like six months earlier, and then she definitely wasn't going to come back. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just the timing of it is really, really wild. Yeah, but mad because it is true. I know, I know. It's really, it's really crazy, but it worked out. Yeah, and, and I, I think it was very I, true to you know. Yeah, and I was quite critical of of Jenny Lee in the fit when if you listen to part one because she was so disparaging of Jane, but actually, what came out was her love for Sister Monica Jane. And then also we're going to move on to Joe Collett because his story is also covered. Yeah, and I think think actually on that subject, I feel like Jenny really softened. And I think maybe that is when she first met Jane because obviously Jane was there before Jenny. Her first reaction to Jenny was when she first got there when she was not as, what's the word, not as soft, uh, not softened. Understanding, compassionate as compassionate as she could have been because she was just brand new still. I think she didn't realise all the experiences that Jay- got Jane to that and maybe kind of a, her first impression yeah. subjectivity got to her a bit more because obviously it kind of was lasting first impression. Whereas by the time mm-hmm. she got to Joe Collett, she was a lot a lot more empathetic, although not to his bugs. Mm-hmm. No. Well, and this is the thing. I actually think the Joe Collett story, okay, first of all, girls, you all know I love the Joe Collett storyline in the show. Oh. I thought it was so sweet. And like Same. when he just just like really quick, okay, she goes to like dress his wounds as she does in the show. And then she says something about like, he's like, can I, can I offer you with this? You know, he's always offering her like drinks and, you know, treats and stuff like that. And, and because of his house and the sanitary conditions there, she's always a bit kind of like, oh, no, not, no, thank you. I'm good. And then, but they started chatting and she says, I was enjoying his company and conversation and didn't want to leave him. But he, and, and as he seemed so happy on impulse, I said, I must go now, but it's my evening off tonight. Can I come and have a glass of sherry with you? And can, and can you can continue your stories? And then he says, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The joy on his face answered my question. Can you come, my maiden? Can you come? I'll say you can come and a thousand times welcome. And girls, when I tell you, I just, oh my goodness, this man. But didn't they half get the actual character of him right as well in the the, the show? 
he was so perfect for it. He was so perfect for it. And I just, but the thing is, Jenny learns a lot from him because she's, she's just tending his wounds and she, you know, she kind of has all this judgment and like, you know, criticism, but then like also worry and concern and everything like that. And all the other nuns and like, she talks to Sister Julian about it and they're like, and and Sister Evangelina and they're like, oh, haven't you seen like this kind of condition before? Like, what are you talking about? You're going to get scared of a few little bugs, like grow up, you know, kind of a thing. And then, you know, Sister Julian is like, look, I, I get it, but you know what, if you go there like every day, twice a day for two months, and then you teach him how to take care of the dressings, he's going to be okay. So just like get to work. I don't know what to tell you. This is life. You know what I mean? And it just... Which to be fair, again, was portrayed in the uh, in the show. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I think the, sh- I think the book did it, told the story in an even more... Oh, yeah. Like, super intense way. I mean, on the show, it was just, you know... Well, also... It was great, but it wasn't as much, you know? With the Frank and Peggy storyline, I was a bit like, oh, how did you know this? But on these, she genuinely did know it because you, you can tell she obviously listened to intently to it and they had a good relationship and she really has written these stories with such passion and with such love for him. Mm-hmm. And they're beautifully written. It's really lovely. And I'm not at yeah. all against them because at least she actually got them from him, from the horse's mouth, as it were, as opposed to the other way. I just think, oh, shush. <laughs> so on, on the show, obviously, it was one week storyline. So it's it's going to be fleeting. But yeah. you really get a sense from the book that it was it, their friendship kind of lasted over oh, a yeah. long Yeah, long and also how time. fond she was of him. Like, obviously, they showed that as well in the show. But she yeah. really, really was fond of him. Well, and it's and it's it's t- like I, I gave her this credit, too, because, I mean, you know, when, when you work with people like that, you really, you know, sometimes it's really good to draw boundaries and everything but also like you have to be careful of how much you get kind of like invested in a certain patient or a client or something like that and she just really went all in and I I kind of I kind of I really respected it you know what I mean like she really gave a lot of herself personally to this older man and I mean he he really didn't have anybody without Jenny I mean he really didn't and I by the way when you the way you said that gave herself personally to an older man did sound a bit strange there we know (laughs) what you meant just wanted to just point that out. You didn't mean anything untoward. All completely innocent and yeah. you know very lovely and platonic. Yes, exactly. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, he so anyway, such a tragic life, which again they yeah. spoke of in the show. But they didn't. Did they talk about his, him having twins in the show? I don't think they did. Well, they talked he about had two boys. Yeah. Well, he just referred to his boys because yeah. when they when the is it the Canada buildings in yeah. the show yeah Joe lives in the Canada buildings when they're condemned he, he kind of says about Sally and his boys live there but he actually had a daughter as well who was killed so his his twin boys were killed in the first world war and it was just tragic because they were killed mm. um at the end of like in the last few months of the war yeah yeah. Um, well, and just and just because we're fast forwarding a little bit, like Joe grows up in this area, and he his father dies when he's thirteen, and then his mother tries everything she can to kind of keep the family afloat, but it's not really working. And so then he tries to like work on the work on a riverboat, and but he realizes he just never gets paid for it, and so then he quits, and he's like, well, what am I gonna do? And then he realizes that there's just nothing in Poplar for him. Like there's no way to make money, there's no way to be productive, there's no way to get ahead, nothing. And so you know, life a crime based. Right, exactly. He's like, if I want to turn into a criminal and then go that way, then I can try to, you know, support my family. But he's like, that's not what I want to do. And so he, you know, blah, 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 gets recruited into the army. Just really quick on the recruitment process. Did any of you, when you were first reading it, because obviously I've never read the book before, I genuinely thought something really nefarious was going on here, like he was being groomed and it was going to end awfully. When they took him into that building, the pub, he did genuinely just get a pint and some food. But I really thought something terrible was going to happen to him. It sounded very shady. I mean, I didn't feel very, I didn't feel very good about it but but the only thing that kind of made me think okay this this might be relatively above board in 
some type of way is that if it really is just for the army then like you know i mean he was recruiting him in a very shady way it was shady wasn't it oh so much so much he was like oh all the glory all the this all the that i mean he was like telling him all these like you know stories as shady as i when i thought it was going shady well it it wasn't exactly it wasn't like zaheer in the mary storyline or anything like that but it was it was basically like yeah yeah so so the guy so he meets this man it's like a he's like a sergeant or a, a very snappily dressed you know like guy or whatever and then he says they like he takes him out to dinner and they have a nice time and then he says well if you'll do this then you know like you'll get a crown to start and a uniform and we'll give you all the food you can eat and all you have to do is just like a few little odd jobs in the military for like four years or whatever and it's like okay oh you'll never be hungry your family will never be hungry yeah he says you know you can have whatever you want much bread and drippings as a man can eat beer if you if that's what your taste runs, tea and coffee, cream and sugar, you know, it's unbelievable. You tell me you had nothing. That's unbelievable. And he says, you know, I've never heard anything like that before. He's like, a special friend of mine runs an ale house over there. I'll buy you a dinner. And then he says, well, that's oh, something name's... where I got the special friend from. I think that's where I put it. Might be something <laughs> nefarious. Of yeah, exactly. And then he says, oh, your name's Joe? My younger brother's named Joe. Of course it's not or whatever. And then he says, he says that you haven't got any money. And it's like, oh, well, that's okay. I'll pay for all of this. Don't worry about it. And then he says, you know, the, the ale house is so special. And so then Joe basically like tells his whole life story to the sergeant and everything he's like oh were you thinking of an army career because he's like i have to do something to help my family and he says and he says i nodded but how did you get in and he says well you know this it's not easy i'll tell you that you need you need influence and you know what who 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 you know matters and everything but he's like but listen he's like since you know me i can do you a good favor and like i'll write you a you know letter and you know we'll get you in and everything it's it's your lucky day i know where the recruiting officer is and i can get you there and you know blah blah blah. anyways and now i'm just kind of rambling but also saying yeah just basically saying oh i can get you but they're just cannon fodder and that's what he soon discovered yeah um, yeah can i just also say that really quick and we, we will go on more about it but the the depth with which she spoke to joe you can tell how close they actually were because i don't know how proper it was to speak to each other about stuff but they talked about sexual things and not in a weird <laughs> way but like the fact he spoke about contraception to her and the fact that he didn't get vd he spoke about stuff that you think he wouldn't normally share with a younger girl yeah and it shows you how close i think they really really were mm-hmm Mm-hmm. You know, no, there was no holes barred until obviously at the end, which we will talk about. Yeah, but I just exactly. do think that reflects how close they genuinely were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, like, and he really treats her with a lot of respect. Like, he doesn't kind of ever seem to talk down to her or kind of, you know, like hide anything from her. Like, she's not supposed to, you know, like. Yeah. Like he's very, he's very candid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Candid's a very, very good word. Well done, Jeff. Word of the word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have you, have you learned? About the Boer War now, Jen. Oh, I'm gonna be honest. Still not too much. I mean, I'm now. I now understand it at least from what Joe said about it. Yeah, but oh gosh, there's probably a lot that's left me. But I will say what what really what really gets me is the fact that all of the times that he talks about being in these like stationed in these kind of military, you know, I don't know, attacks or whatever it is. Oh God, it sounds terrible. It just yeah. sounds terrible. I like, I mean, I've never been someone who wants to do anything kind of like that, but oh my gosh, it's just, just like hard work, like scary, obviously, like the whole thing, the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's not something I'd ever. And these are young guys, you know, they're like, they're, they're, they've never really been outside of the, hel- well, the home before. He said he was 16, he was 14 when he signed up. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. story about the prostitutes. <laughs> That's the other, the sex workers. When he said that when he got signed up and he was, he'd already sent his money off to his mum and, um, the, these girls were all there fondling him and kissing him. I just thought this is a lot of detail to tell this young nurse. Oh, wait but a minute, wait did. a minute. 
yeah you're right but and they assaulted him and I just thought that's number one really embarrassing thing to tell someone like I'd be like I'd I'd never tell anyone that story that I'd been taken in like that (laughs) so you need to so basically he gets recruited he gets told that he's got to turn up at is it wait I can't remember which station he's got to great Ormond street I think you're right Bex yeah He's got to turn up at the oh, station. Waterloo, get, Waterloo station, water, maybe? Is it Waterloo? He's got to get the 10 o'clock train so that he can report to the barracks. If he doesn't report to the barracks, he's going like to get charged, court-martialed and yeah, yeah. Yeah. charged with desertion. So, But that all of these girls that are hanging around the station know that these lads have been given a shilling. So they he basically, doesn't realise. Yeah, he, he doesn't realise. Well, he's gone to his mum's as well first and they all had a lovely supper of Welks and... Was it chips? Something. It was Welks or something. But they had this lovely supper and it was all lovely and then he went off without so the he's shilling, al- obviously. he's already handed the shilling over to his his mum but they don't realise that and, and they basically beat him up for the shilling and well, when they, they realise he doesn't have it. They try to seduce him, him a good time. And then he says something about, oh, I don't have it. And then they're just like, oh, well, then you're then you're nothing. And then they just really start actually like going off on this guy. It was very, they really, also, they he's, really. He was 14. Yeah. You know, if you're looking back on it, he's just like, what? He was 14. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, wait. So wait, here's what you said about like some of the conversations like being very interesting for considering like who they were to each other and the age gap and all this kind of stuff like that. She said, Mr. Collett says, you know, whether discipline was necessary and stuff like that because of, you know, how they had to dress both women and men in at this time. The discipline of the armed force is the only thing that keeps them under control. I wouldn't have it thought it was necessary for women, though, would you? But I maintain that the nurses always look lovely. So I approve of the uniform because she's saying like there's you have to have a certain standard of dress and like starching the aprons and like all that kind of stuff. And then this is what Jenny says, which is so makes me laugh she says i chuckled at this there's no doubt in my mind that the nurse's uniform of the early and middle 1900s was just about the sexiest thing ever invented i'm like okay (laughs) nothing has surpassed it for allure i was not the only young nurse to be acutely conscious of a heightened sex appeal when in uniform ironically the draconian old sisters and matrons who rigidly enforced the uniform seemed to be unaware of the effect it had on the male sex those were the repressive days when student nurses had to live in barrack-like nursing homes and be in by 10 no men were allowed and she'd be dismissed if one was caught students were not student nurses were not allowed to marry all this was to repress our sexuality yet we were dressed up like sex kittens with the exquisite <laughs> irony of today's permissive society when anything goes and nurses can do whatever they like sexually the uniform has changed beyond all recognition and the average nurse now looks like a sack of potatoes tied in the middle often wearing trousers rather than sexy black stockings <laughs> and i'm just like jenny lee oh my goodness gracious like I look are all the girls on call the midwife absolutely adorable and like so cute and do they look great in their uniforms sure but like I would describe none of those girls in uniform as looking like sex kittens I'm really not sure maybe the uniforms she's talking about were different but the ones on the show do not look like sex kitten uniforms (laughs) just so funny but she just uh, Jennifer Worth is just a funny character yeah yeah anyway anyway so Joe Joe Collett talks about his army career he tells Jennifer Worth about obviously his boys so his twin boys who were both killed. Which again, all these things were in the episode. They actually really did pack it full, considering how sure at the time they actually had the Joe Collett. So I, I really think kudos to the writers there. Yeah. Oh, but also he talks about meeting his wife and it was a girl that she'd known for years. But when he came back from like his like basic training or whatever, she seemed much more grown up than I'd remembered her. And I reckon she must have thought the same about me. She was the prettiest little thing I'd ever seen. We were only 16 apiece and 48 hours isn't long, but I knew she was the only girl in the world for me we reached an understanding that she would wait for me until i was in a position to marry her long engagements were common in those days and couples thought nothing of waiting 10 or 15 years before they could get married as it happened we had to wait only three he lit a he then lit a fire in his 
pipe and then he looks off. I just was like, oh. I know. But oh, I, I'm just like taken aback by the 10 to 15 years. I know. Yeah, but especially just, because, I mean. Well, everyone yeah. on the show gets married in like in like 10 minutes, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like all the couples on the show are like in their 20s. Well, we've spoken you know, about that, yeah. Yeah, like hardly. I mean, whenever we encounter an older expectant mother, it's always like there's some Ooh, big get reason. Full blimey, why. get you, you old lady. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but then he. But then to your point about the sex stuff, Alice, he says it's a damn good thing I did meet Sally during that forty-eight hours because promises we had made kept me clean while I was at Plymouth. It was a lively town, and ten or twelve regiments were garrisoned there, as well as soldiers. Blah 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 blah. And then there were prostitutes everywhere. And if I was going to go with one of those girls, I was likely to pick up VD. Um, yeah. It would have been the end of my army career, end of the hopes of being with Sally, and of helping my mom everything like that so he's like so I kept myself clean meaning he think he just didn't do any of that and he said all the other chaps said I was mad and I should enjoy myself while I could but then I saw enough of them get into the venereal wards of the sick bay to know they were the ones who were crazy and yeah, I but was again and... I just think that's so it's a lot to tell this girl yeah yeah but she's um, a nurse isn't she so I no, do I know, feel but, like yeah but still I think it's amazing I, my point being I just think that's how close they actually were how much they did confide he did confide in her yeah they they were really genuine friends yeah it was really sweet and oh. they talk about in 1940 Mr Collett retired from the post office straight away he joined the ARP the air raid precautions and Sally joined with him Sally is his wife now this reminded me of Fred and Violet same I've written Fred and Violet here as well oh see also Bex they lived at Windsor Castle yeah they were, he was he was stationed there stationed at I was going to say barrack there was a library in the barrack but he they, he was like that was a really good job because he's like I got extra pay for doing royal duty I was earning good money. I could apply to my colonel for permission to marry. And then, yeah, they got married quarters and they got a little cottage. And then, like, yeah, it was just great. And that was great until everything went horrifically wrong for them. Yeah. He said the news from South Africa was bad. I had a feeling, though I didn't say it to Sal, that my turn would come. And it did. On the 1st of November, 1899, I sailed for South Africa. Oh. But by some uh, miracle, like, he did survive. Yeah, he did survive. And like a lot of the soldiers that were sent there. But then we we said he lost his boys he also had a daughter which on the show he they only talked about his boys but he also had a daughter yeah. so his sons were killed at the end of the first world war and then tragically his daughter so she'd also gone into the post office yeah Shirley Shirley so she'd done accountancy and bookkeeping but then she'd also studied telegraph telegraphy yeah telegraphy Ty- typog are you talking about typing no telegraphy and morse code oh like a telegraph machine yeah. Okay. Anyway, it was two years of study. And this, I thought this was so cute. Mr. Collins said the system was based on long and short sounds or flashes of light. We spent many hours, the three of us, tapping and flashing messages to each other. And it just, it just the cutest picture. So, like Sally, Joe, with his daughter, obviously just sending messages to each other to help her pick it up. But just shows how devoted they were to her as well and each other. You and then, and obviously during the Second World War, that she was obviously that was a valuable trade. I mean, it's not a trade, but yeah, skill, skill that's the right word. <laughs> so she was then used for that intelligence, and then obviously, him and his wife were making themselves busy 
helping. His wife then got bombed and killed, firebombed and killed, the worst way mm. to go. And then, obviously, him and Shirley were left for a while. And then he found out later on that Shirley had died as well. In the yeah, blood. so she was where she was stationed was bombed. And again, as with his sons, it was getting towards the end of the war where they dared to think that she was. it was all going to kind of come to an end and they had a life. Mm. And it wasn't to be. He was left on his own. So on this really cheery note, should we carry on with how Joe Collett met his end? Sure. So... <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Collett, he was in this building that had all these memories in because it's where he actually, he didn't bring up his family there because they actually were living somewhere else with Harbour. But it's where mm. he lived with his his family growing up. It's where his wife Sally lived with her family growing up and also where his boys came while the war was going on the first time. She went back to their mum, to her mum for help with the kids and everything while he was stationed away. And um, so these buildings had a lot of meaning to him and he was back there and then he was being forced out because they they basically quite rightly let's be honest condemned the buildings because they weren't they had beetles and you know they had bugs everywhere and they were they weren't they weren't sanitary. So no, they were yeah. They were yeah. like my carpets. Well, probably worse. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they they were. He was basically had notice to leave, but he hadn't actually sorted anywhere out to go. And the council were helping him, so he chose. But what he chose was, and it was an old workhouse that was supposed to be now be a home. Um, and he Smart. thought, it was quite good. yeah, but it was supposed to be quite good because it was supposed to, you know, help them and have some care for them. And what happened was the exact opposite. There was no care at all for him. It was just oh. loads of old people put together with no care at all. No one was changing his wounds and he's got infected again. And to cut a long story short, he died of basically neglected health, wasn't it? Like he got all... Yeah. Yeah, yeah so as in the show, him. his wounds got infected, he got gangrene, his legs were amputated. And then it's almost like he had post-traumatic stress. Like he, he was reliving the war. Yeah. And Jenny visits him and he died that night. Yeah, but before he pulled her down under the bed to try and protect her. Yeah, he was thinking that they were being bombed. So he was trying to seek shelter. But I have to wasn't in the in the show. No. And but what was in the show and what was in the book is he's in St. Mark's and it's basically they're just all these men just sat around with no entertainment. They're just sat staring off into into yeah, space. And their spirits are gone but what got me was no he wasn't allowed to so on in the book he was he was only allowed to smoke on the balcony and he smokes a pipe yeah. but nobody had shown him where the balcony was in the in the tv show he was only allowed to smoke on the steps so jenny lee takes him out and it it happens in the same way that she takes him out so he can smoke his pipe why were they so fussy about not being able to smoke indoors well i don't know considering you think if there was actually some form of care there would be but yeah look at dr turner getting an ashtray into a cubicle (laughs) clinic but yet mr collett can't smoke in the recreation room yeah yeah i'm not in my head yeah yeah the whole description of where he was in when he when he made that move just absolutely devastated me and i'll just say there was a line that i i um underlined and it was after he was and it also i i mean alex mentioned i wasn't enamored with this second part of the book and it's partly because the book is called shadows of the workhouse and this is the only nod to the workhouse i mean it's sad because it's the end of joe collett's life but up until now in this second part this is the only workhouse action. Well, 
yeah, true. But, oh, do you know? And the other thing that really got me about this Joe Collett thing, just to end on the Joe Collett thing, I just thought it was just so sad how their relationship had gone from such striving. She got loads of stories and it was lovely. They used to really love seeing each other. So he was just so broken that they didn't even really talk much anymore. Like when he got there, they were they just kind of just pleasant trees and it was just, they'd lost their, their yeah. relationship, which was really dear to both of them. And it just made me They really both sad. never knew what to say. Yeah, and it just makes me so sad. Oh gosh, I I wonder if I'm maybe able to find it. Oh, it was it was a line. It was a line that Jenny has in this, and it's I I don't I, don't, I should have underlined it when I saw it. It was something about it was something about how we treat our older people, and you know, like like we do all this stuff. Oh gosh, I really I I apologize. I can't find it. It's it's something about how we just kind of like don't treat old people with respect, where we just you know kind of like put them somewhere to be you know yeah alone or whatever like that. And it just it, maybe maybe it's a maybe it's back here. You know the, the bit last... I did like. There was a bit at the end when she said it was many years later, perhaps 15 or 20 years, when Mr. Collett visited me. I was happily married. My daughter's growing up, my life in full flow. I had not thought of Mr. Collett for years. I woke in the middle of the night and he was standing at the side of my bed. He was as real as my husband sleeping beside me. He was tall and upright, but looked younger than when I had known him, like a handsome man of about 60 or 65. He was smiling and then he said, you know the secret of life, my dear, because you know how to love. And then he disappeared. I did a weird intonation there. You know the I secret thought, of life. No, I thought that was really sweet. I, know, I thought same. that was really sweet. No, but I was going to say I did cry reading it because when he talks about when he loses Sally his wife um, yeah. he says I'm glad she was taken first and not left on her own death is kinder than life there is no more suffering beyond the grave and that did get me yeah oh, so gosh. true though also this is this is a poem that that Jennifer Worth puts in the book but it's one that Sister Monica Jones says to her when she's just lost Alec and she feels really sad and so she's going to go off yes. and kind of break at the mother house she's, it's the it's this poem from Lee Hunt and yeah. it says Jenny kissed me when we met jumping from the chair she sat in say i'm weary say i'm sad say that health and wealth have missed me say i'm growing old but add jenny kissed me even just reading it now i just it's it's it just really makes me emotional it's a beautiful it's really beautiful I, you know listen for all of our for all of our feelings about jennifer worth like god bless her for writing these books like they are they are really good. oh yeah they're amazing let's be honest like they're slagging her off i do apologize we're not slagging her off <laughs> we're actually slagging her off we're we, not we're not i mean that's how so impact much... that's how into it we're getting we aren't slagging off because we, yeah. we love is based on it we're yeah. just being a bit overly critical because we're doing a book club and if i'm honest i'm a bit nervous about doing a book club don't know what i'm doing but well, also i think if you write down all of your interactions with people like none of us are gonna come off well in that no well and look i mean this well, is just such <laughs> the most <laughs> This is all really intense material, okay? Yeah. Like the things she's talking about are just some of the most tough things of life. And like, also, it's a lot to pack in as well, isn't oh, there? Like, you know, we're like, word. oh, she's been glib here, but yeah, she's, you know, she can't carry on otherwise. The, the book would be 65 billion years long. Like, it's I know. just, you'd never be able to end it. I'm, so I'm very much life. I, I, we're not, we're not there yet by a mile, but like, I am very curious what the third one is going to be like because I, she's, she's been, anyways, I feel like there's an evolution happening. So I'm, I'm excited, but I'm really glad we did this, girls. I just, I think it's great. I hope those, I okay. hope the listeners enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah. And on that, listeners, thank you so much for listening. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time when we do series six. Also, just to say, no heroes and zeros because everything's a hero and everything's a zero in this book, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Definitely. I don't know if that's a bad joke. I'm going to be really out in left field. Okay. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.